Welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. My guest today is Major General Bob Dees. Bob Dees is a really decorated veteran. He's a retired Major General in the United States Army. He's a graduate of West Point, and he's written a number of books on resiliency. And so that's the topic we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the program, Major well, General Dees. Thank you, Dr. Knapp. It's great to be here. Thanks for that introduction. The only thing I would add is grandfather of eight grandkids. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the most important part. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah, I know a lot of our listeners have got kids and grandkids, and sure. they love to hear about your life. And yeah. that's actually a good little segue here. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of your background about your military service and whatever else sure. you choose yeah. to share? Yeah, yeah I'm glad to. Well, I was uh, privileged to serve in the military for 31 years. I grew up in Texas. I ended up going to West Point for all the wrong reasons. It was because of a pretty girl and a football coach. I won't get into that, but okay. <laughs> sometimes when we, when we go for the wrong reasons, over time, our motives are purified. And at West Point, they brand on your head to accomplish the mission and take care of the troops. Accomplish the mission, take care of the troops. And when I got out into the Army, I discovered that's a lot easier said than done. And somewhere along the way, it went from my head to my heart to my gut, and it became a divine calling uh-huh. to truly serve military men and women and to have a compassion and empathy for what they do, all the while we're doing the accomplishing the mission that was before us. Also, I would have to mention that at West Point, a math instructor who had gone to the same high school as I had 10 years prior, wrapped his arms around me, his wife fed me enchilada dinners, and frankly, he mentored me in faith. And little did I know, but that was an incredible compound investment that over those four years, he really gave me a solid foundation in my Christian faith for me. And then I went on and it was an incredible asset because, you know, the great commandment in the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Uh And for me, that talked to a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. Those are all the aspects of the person that to be mentally healthy. Yes. (laughs) They need to have that balance in their lives, and they need to have wellness in each one of those physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational components. And so I saw as I led soldiers from tens to tens of thousands that I found that all of those components are very important, and the leader is wise to recognize he needs to help lead people in each one of those areas. I won't wind out. I'll just say it was a privilege to lead soldiers and Marines for 31 years, and then I have failed at retirement a few times, and after I failed at retirement, I worked at Microsoft for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. then I headed up a Christian ministry to the military for five years, and then uh-huh. I was vice president here at Liberty University for five years, and then I was privileged to be Ben Carson's campaign chairman, and then now I'm back. All of that, you know, there's a point of convergence in our lives, and the point yes. of convergence is where we see God using every life experience we've had. So all those life experiences now are converging as I'm seeking to take care of veterans and their families, trying to reshape the nature of veterans care in America. And it has so much to do with mental health. You know, how do we properly take care of people holistically? I watched Patch Adams the other night. Oh, yeah. You know, I hadn't seen it for a long time. And Patch was a guy that swam upstream. He pushed back against the conventional approaches to medicine It was sort of, at that time, autocratic, and it had a lot of the intellectual component, but it didn't have much of the emotional component. So that whole movie, for me, is about somebody taking this holistic approach, swimming upstream, 
devising better ways to take care of people, more effective ways that are measurable over time. He did that, and it's a real inspiration to me, you know, in, in my life and taking care of veterans and just everything else I do. And I think it's probably a good inspiration for all of us. Absolutely. I'm sure it's a neat movie. I, it's been a few years since I've seen it, <laughs> sure. but I know our listeners would probably love to see that, yeah. Patch Adams. I know your big focus is on military resilience and helping soldiers, and, and we're going to get in a minute here to some of the initiatives you're working on. But after 31 years in the service yourself, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've probably seen a few cases where soldiers went through hard times or were affected by service and all that. Sure. Could, could you give the listeners a little bit of a feel for maybe what are some of the things that you've seen or maybe even experienced in your own life mm-hmm. about okay. how the service takes a toll on you? Well, there's some broad touch points that I'll cover, but let me maybe represent those in terms of story. I was a lieutenant, 101st Airborne Division. I'd been there three weeks. I was in the winter of 1973, and I had 45 Screaming Eagle soldiers, guys jumping out of airplanes, crazies, you know, and I was in charge of them, sort of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one night, the night before Easter, I got a call, and it said, you got to come to Sergeant Smitty's house trailer. And I went to Sergeant Smitty's trailer, and he had blown himself away in the back room. And after the first responders left, I was left there with the young widow and her daughter, her three-year-old daughter. You know, I didn't know what to do as a leader, really, a young leader. But I knew enough to say, well, how can I help you? And she said, well, we hid Easter eggs today in preparation for tomorrow. Could you come back tomorrow morning and gather Easter eggs with me and my young daughter? an incredibly profound moment, you know, for both of us. Yeah. But that became a bookend in my life. As That was my first encounter, if you will, with uh, an aspect of mental health within the military, which was my work domain. Yeah. And I saw the pathos of that, the tragedy of that. I saw the second and third order effects of that. Mm-hmm. And it really became a bookend. And so as I navigated my whole military career, I was attuned maybe more than many to mental health issues. And then when I got to the other end of my career, which was another bookend, I was indignant that we had higher in history suicide rates in the active duty military. Mm -hmm. And then we had this tragic 22 a day or whatever the exact statistic is of veterans killing themselves. So military suicide has been a thread of continuity as I've gone through my whole career. And I think it's tragic. I think there's ways that we can deal with it. And I think we need to deal with it. It's a national crisis. One of the other life experiences we had is that we encountered a soldier along the way who had serious post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, Uh all the stuff. Uh, And he had been dishonorably discharged from the military. And at that time, the military chain of command and the military medical chain They weren't on top of post-traumatic stress, recognizing it, distinguishing it from traumatic brain injury and just different aspects of diagnosis and then doing something about it. So we wrapped our arms around this soldier that had just been thrown out on the street. He lived with us for 13 months. We Mm -hmm. had Dr. Dan Amon out on the West Coast who offered to do this for free. Uh They did a spectral image of his brain and we saw the characteristic diamond formation that they say describes post-traumatic stress disorder. And the soldier that immediately gave him hope because he saw that and he said, oh, I'm not crazy. You Mm -hmm. know, I recognize I have an injury. Yes. And injuries are normally reversible. So we put him on a comprehensive program of diet, exercise, new friends, new surroundings, 
Christian disciplines, mm-hmm. brain foods, you know, walnuts, mm-hmm. uh, avocado, all these different brain foods. That mm-hmm. are, and then we had him specced a year later, mm-hmm. and his brain was distinctly different. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that gave him hope. We saw we we're making progress. Mm-hmm. And so just recently, he graduated from a communications program in a Utah university. Uh-huh. And now, surprise to you, perhaps, is that yeah. he's a graduate student in your programs. Oh, my goodness. At Liberty <laughs> University. <laughs> That's so, great. And, and it's typical, you know, in the scriptures, there's a passage that says, comforting others with that which I've been comforted. Mm-hmm. That's often the calling, the passion of a counselor. Absolutely. So he wants to be a counselor. He wants to comfort others with that which he's been comforted. And he has a tremendous life story. Yeah. And so you can imagine with those T-shirts how effective he's going to be. And, oh, by the way, we were able to get his dishonorable discharge overturned. Yeah, because the people just didn't get it, sure. and the system recognized that. That's wonderful. Yeah. I know we've got listeners who are both Christian and non-Christian, but, sure. but I know a lot of the Christian listeners can understand how God can take a difficult experience mm-hmm. in your life, and then he can redeem it, meaning he can sort of use something that was mm-hmm. yucky, but then use it for something productive, Right, just like that guy did. Right, and as you appreciate, there's, you know, the Christian or non-Christian, there's biblical principles that mm-hmm. really play out in any domain. Yeah. It's just sort of like ground truth, you know, it's like gravity. And so it's fun to see that. If I were to say your question was soldier issues and concern, you know, things they have with them and their families, one of them is this aspect of team. Mm-hmm. Team is really important to a soldier. And when they get into the military, they are indoctrinated to be part of a team, to uh-huh. take care of the team, take care of one another. So when something happens in their military experience or their life experience and they lose team, sometimes they lose the identity that comes along with team. Sometimes they lose the purpose that comes along with team. Sometimes they lose the community, and so they isolate. All of those are negative factors in their lives that can lead ultimately to suicide or other Mm -hmm. mental and behavioral health issues. So, you know, these common issues of being part of team versus being separated from the team and experiencing loss and not being equipped mm-hmm. to deal with loss. You know, loss, you either they become angry mm-hmm. or they become depressed and desperate, and not really wise about how to grieve, how to regain vital optimism, and all those things that are part of a good mental health practitioner's toolkit to help somebody like the soldier, sailor, airman, marine. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me, in John 10, 10, the Bible says, the devil's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to mental health, isolating people, like you were saying, like not being on a team, that's a great way to take people down is when they feel isolated. And of course, feeling stigma for mental health is a way you feel embarrassed about you. You're depressed. Maybe you've got PTSD and you're mm-hmm. hypervigilant or something and you feel like you're nuts or something. Uh-huh. Right. But um, that can all separate people. And that's obviously the devil's plan to mm-hmm. take people down. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that soldier who committed suicide and you mentioned PTSD and things like that. What are some of the other common struggles that soldiers have? Or maybe it could be transitioning out of the service or maybe mm-hmm. even when they're still in. What are some of those common struggles? Right. Well, I think you mentioned the key word is transition. In the military, there's an axiom that says things break at the seams. Hmm. And so at the seams of life, which represent transitions like uh-huh. from military to civilian, uh-huh. you know, things will break there if you're not real careful because you'll get stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. You're in no man's land. Yeah. You're trying to move into a different culture. You're mm-hmm. trying to understand a new vocabulary. You're doubtful about your ability to measure up in this new economy, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like in your profession. And so all of those create a crisis of identity. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we deal with when troops are transitioning 
is their identity. You know, their identity can't be as a soldier. Their identity can't be, frankly, in their race. Their identity can't be in any of these other characteristics. Their identity, from my perspective, needs to be in Christ. Or, you know, as some would say, their identity is in a higher calling. And when they lose their purpose in Uh this transition process, they sometimes wander and get lost. So this notion of purpose, in the spiritual sense, you would call it calling. As I did all my resilience writing, to my surprise, I didn't plan it, but I found that calling is the golden thread of resilience. Or you might call it mission or purpose or whatever terms you would use. But the the point is this, why am I doing what I'm doing? These deeply held core values that give what you're doing value and purpose are incredibly important. So, you know, that's how we help troops as well is just as they're transitioning. So you mentioned that keyword. There's other things, loss. I mentioned loss before, but how do you deal with loss? Uh In our nation, let's be on soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines. We are starting to have a resilience deficit. And, you know, to use the common term, everyone gets a trophy. When that happens at younger ages, then when they get into high school and beyond, they've not developed these ability to navigate small disappointments in life. Mm -hmm. And then when they get to the major body slams of life, they're just fragile. And I use the analogy with my grandchildren and with everybody, really, a tennis ball or an egg. An egg, you drop it, and it's like Humpty Dumpty. You can never put it back together again. Uh A tennis ball bounces, and the question is, which would you rather be? Uh And frankly, I think in America today, for a number of reasons, we have more eggs than Uh ever before. And as a national security thinker, that's a national security crisis as Mm -hmm. well as personal and corporate crisis. Absolutely. Well, you've used the term resilience a number of times. (laughs) Some people in the mental health fields are familiar with that, but others, it's the phrase they hear thrown around, but they don't really know what it means. Why don't you give the listeners a sense of what is military resilience or Mm -hmm. what is resilience? And I don't want to paint you into a corner here as far as how you answer that. Sure. You might give like a general of how you approach resilience. How do you help people be resilient or what Mm -hmm. does it even mean? Mm -hmm. If you look in the dictionary... It'll give you definitions like it's the ability of an object to bend but not break. Uh And in a physics sense, that would include physical sciences. That would include and the ability to return to their original shape, like a piece of iron or something. You know, Mm -hmm. if you bend it, it bends, but then it's resilient. It doesn't break, but then you can bend it back to its original shape and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that really applies in a human sense as well. You know, we got to bend and not break. And after that happens, then we got to return to our original shape and purpose. And then Tedeschi and Calhoun, 1980, University Mm -hmm. of North Carolina, did some uh, seminal research on Vietnam vets and looked Mm -hmm. at their pre-Vietnam experiences and what they would call resilience building. Mm -hmm. And then they looked at their experience and then they looked at the outcomes and how did they adjust to coming out of Vietnam and so forth. That's where the term post-traumatic growth was coined. And so post-traumatic growth is the ability to get better, wiser, stronger through adversity, you know, just like lifting weights or something like that. So resilience, I would say, is not only the ability to survive, you know, that might be grit, grit your teeth and press on through, but the ability to get better, wiser, stronger through adversity. And in the course of that thinking and looking at what Tedeschi and Calhoun did, I somewhat expanded the definition of resilience. Many people would say resilience is bouncing back. Okay, that's, that's your man on the street or maybe many of your counselors say, well, it's just bouncing back. I think it's far broader than that because... When I was working military suicide things, 
when it was really bad, they were spending a lot of time on the last minute before somebody hurt themselves or did something irreversible. And that's important to know how to deal with somebody in duress in crisis. But my whole thesis with resilience is that it's too late. You don't build resilience when the car wreck happens. You got to get way upstream, ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. Theologian and philosopher Tournier said, we fall the way we lean. Okay, so let's figure out how way ahead of any trauma in our lives, we are leaning in the right direction so that we're inclined to have the right reflexes. I call mm -hmm. them from a military sense, actions on contact. What are our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational reflexes that we have honed ahead of time? For instance, we all have iPhones or Androids or whatever. What resilience playlist do we have on there? What catalog of the movies, the books, the songs, mm -hmm. the biblical or other principles that light our fire do mm -hmm. we have? Because when the car wreck happens, it's too late to pull all that together. Or we may not even be cogent. And so our loved ones may need to use some of those tools, recognizing that those are most effective to nourish our hearts and souls and spirits. So that would speak heavily to the act of ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure, this readiness ahead of time. So I, in the course of all this thinking, I developed something called the resilience life cycle. Resilience life cycle is very simple, but it's before. What do we do before the storms of life? How do we get prepared? Just like a hurricane's headed your way. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I say trauma. Jesus said in the world, we will have tribulation. So mm -hmm. the, the traumas of life take different forms. I use two bookends, tornado and hurricane. Tornado happens rapidly. It's a shock effect and all of that. It's like an IED going off in combat, mm -hmm. or it's like a car wreck. The hurricane is different. It's like understanding that a treasured relationship is unraveling before your eyes. It's like the knowledge that cancer is eating away at your body, and there's not much you can do about it. But whatever form it takes, you know, it's all theoretical. Counselors would see this a lot of times. It's all theoretical until it happens to you. And then it's raw, and it's real, and it's visceral, and it's personal. So it's the type of thing you really want to get ready for. The second aspect of this is when the storm hits, you know, there's a verse of scripture that says, hiding under the shelter of God's wings mm -hmm. until the destruction passes by. Well, sometimes with all the chaos, that's all we can do. And we hold on for dear life. And ideally, these actions on contact that we've developed ahead of time become, you know, for instance, one of them is start the IV in my vernacular. Uh -huh. And it's just like a medical IV where you put solution into the bloodstream and acts rapidly and so forth. I'm talking about spiritual IV and emotional IV that puts nutrients, spiritual and emotional nutrients into your system so that in a 10-minute, in a some people would call it a quiet time, 10 minutes in the morning isn't going to get it for you. It's got to be an IV. It's got to be an infusion. So I won't wind out further on that, but in my writings, I've got subcategories of how we achieve this. And then thirdly, it's this aspect of after the fact, that's bouncing back. Mm -hmm. And it's the hardest part of the journey, and it's two-part you got to look back to be introspective. You know, to be introspective is critical to guard your primary relationships. We tend to attack the ones we love the most. Mm -hmm. It's critical to achieve a position of forgiveness and gratitude because we've got to loosen our grip on all these toxic emotions. And then we have to be able to grieve well and understand grieving. And then it's time to look through the windshield. And as we look through the windshield, how do we regain our vital optimism? And it's this whole spirit of newness. How do you sing a new song? How do you comfort others with that which you've been comforted? Mm -hmm. And then as you've gone through crisis, you've learned a lot. And so it may be that your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call it, can be refined. And if as a Christian you listen to that still small voice of the Lord, now you get some better direction about what your next chapter of life looks like. And then it's got a feedback loop, obviously, a resilience life cycle. 
because hurricane season comes around again and again. Oh yeah. Every and year. we got to prepare. <laughs> and so that's sort of the resilience life cycle. I won't wind out further, but that essentially greatly expanded the whole way that we can view resilience as a systems approach mm-hmm. rather than a point in time. I love everything you've been saying oh. here. You've <laughs> hit on like 20 different topics <laughs> of resiliency and a theoretical approach to it mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are feeling the same way, like you're hitting on so many good points. And I want the listeners to know if you were sitting there trying to take notes and everything Bob was saying and it was coming at you too fast, he's got a few different websites where a lot of his thoughts and books and things like that can be found. The first one is resiliencegodstyle.com. That's resiliencegodstyle.com. And the next one, which we're about to talk about, is healthyveterans.org. That's www.healthyveterans.org. And Bob does a lot of different (laughs) projects around the country helping veterans, but there's a really big one that he's been working on recently, Mm -hmm. and there's been some major developments in recent weeks, too. And what we're talking about is something called the National Center for Healthy Veterans. So, Bob, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit Uh, about that? Sure. I mentioned earlier this holistic approach and comprehensive if this was being done, I wouldn't be doing it because, you know, there are a lot of great things happening across our nation, uh-huh. people doing great work. But what I found is I've analyzed and sort of been in this ecosystem of taking care of veterans for a long time. There's not a continuity of care capability that we really need. First, the narrative, it's the National Center for Healthy Veterans. I think veterans are an untapped national treasure. Mm-hmm. They're God's creations. They have amazing skills. The day before they got out of the military, they were military members, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines. Mm -hmm. They had been indoctrinated with the best of values, duty, honor, country, Mm -hmm. honor, loyalty, respect for others, integrity, you know, selfless service, all those military values. That's part of who they are. And then people don't know today, only 25% of the American youth ages 18 to 24 can even qualify for the military because of mental, physical, or behavioral issues. Is now you take the top 25%. Now, if they're in the military, they have volunteered. Mm-hmm. They have graduated uh, in one form or another from high school. And they've learned in the military. They've had uh, world-class training. They've mm-hmm. learned these skills. So now they turn around and they put on civilian clothes. Mm-hmm. And they're a veteran. And they have so much to offer. And I say, yes, a lot of our veterans need help. We know that. We see that in the statistics and things every day. But the point is, and America can and should help our veterans, but America needs for our veterans to help America, you know, role mm-hmm. models, businessmen, entrepreneurs, Absolutely. all of that. Yeah. So that's the first value equation. And then secondly is how you do it. I think it's a comprehensive approach. When I say National Center for Healthy Veterans, I define healthy the same way I already have. is physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational wellness. And then there's other life skills and vocational skills that we can help them with mm-hmm. so that they get on board. So how do we do this? It's a lot of the components. You know, when I looked at the antidotes to suicide, community, biblical training from my perspective, Uh purpose, identity, all those things, we have woven these things into this National Center for Healthy Veterans. It's a large piece of property. First criteria is that you'd be able to get lost in the woods Mm -hmm. because God is a healer just by being in God's creation, whether Mm -hmm. it's creation, walking the hills, looking at the views, or being next to animals. We have a huge equestrian facility, that equine therapy aspect and being close to animals. You know, and horses have a brain about the size of a walnut, Mm -hmm. but they've got a heart about the size of a basketball. And not only can they relate and understand you, as you're next to a horse, you can feel the horse feeling you. 
Mm -hmm. mean, it's just incredible. It's hard to explain, but it's part of God's creation and mm -hmm. his economy. So that's first thing. And then secondly, we want this notion of community. We're establishing villages of tiny homes, 20 tiny homes per village, where they will have their own dignity and privacy in their tiny home. But the real magnet is the community center that's part of that. Mm -hmm. That's where the ping pong table is, the fire pit, uh -huh. the big screen TV, where they cook. And so it brings them out. We don't want them in their homes. We want them out in community to, sure. for the obvious reasons we've discussed. And then we'll have faith-based and other trauma recovery programs. The point is best practice, empirically driven, that we offer to them. Ultimately, this is not a modest project. It's a $39 million build-out. The signature piece of it is a healthy veteran wellness center. The wellness center is sort of like, it, it addresses all those components of wellness I discussed, but it's sort of like a YMCA that's key to physical therapy for veterans and mm -hmm. pains and all the things that goes with that. And then a counseling center on steroids. Mm -hmm. And in the counseling center, particular focus on veterans' issues, sleep management, mm -hmm. pain management, performance coaching, as well as conventional counseling. And then all of that is also part of a conference center because when you look at America, you talk to Veterans Affairs, mm -hmm. they only touch much, they don't help this many, but they touch 30% of veterans in America. The 70% are in the woodwork mm -hmm. and they're in the communities, the churches, the corporations, the campuses across America. And so those people, if we're really gonna change the shape of veterans care in America, we need to educate all of those entities, help them become part of the solution because we've got to get into the woodwork of America. And so we'll become a best practice. We'll disseminate some of those things. We'll educate around the country and try to mobilize the whole nation, not just, you know, have a point where we do that. Well, to my knowledge, Liberty University has got the largest mental health programs in America. Mm -hmm. And so we're very much looking forward to collaborating with you on the National Center for Healthy Veterans. Mm -hmm. There's a number of people probably listening across the country right now who go, oh, this is all so awesome. I love what you're saying. You're stirring my heart. Maybe I've got a veteran in my family or mm -hmm. a spouse or something, and right. I really want to help, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure how to help. What ideas would you suggest for a listener who wants to be involved in some way, but they're not sure what to do? Right. You can't go wrong by being a listener. That helps. There's no way that most people, to include me, for veterans that have certain unique experiences. Mm -hmm. I can't say I understand or any of that, or I can't really give them direction yet. But mm -hmm. to listen to them, to value them, is so very important. You know, and you have the simple phrase, thank you for your service. Sometimes that's seen a little caustically because it's like, thank you for your service. It becomes a habitual to this. But if you really say thank you for your service and you make that eye contact, Mm -hmm. If they're approachable, if there's time to learn about their story, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful first step. And then when I said value people, the way you value people is by giving them purpose, giving them mm -hmm. meaning. So if there's any way you have veterans in your midst, if there's any way to you know help them engage in dignified work, I mean, that's what we're offering at this Veterans Center, among other things, but dignified work to help them have purpose, mm -hmm. help them get closure on things, help them see value in what they're doing, that is so important. Mm -hmm. And then often, particularly working with soldiers that have PTSD and other wounds, mm -hmm. this verse I mentioned earlier, comforting others with that which you've been comforted is mm -hmm. so important. Very quickly, I'll get soldiers on their feet to tell others about what they've been through. Uh -huh. And sometimes it's in stages mm -hmm. of disclosure. But when they are able to tell others, and then when the first person comes to them and say, 
that means a lot because I've gone through a similar thing. Mm-hmm. That really helps me. The second somebody says, you really helped me, it turns that pain that they've experienced into purpose. Uh-huh. And that is a critical milestone on the way to healing, is their ability to tell the story and then to recognize that telling your story is going to have benefit in somebody else's life. Yeah, we've all got a story, or within the Christian context, we often call that a testimony, per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. And you're right, telling our testimony, we don't know how God's going to use that to help somebody else mm-hmm. or encourage somebody mm-hmm. else, but he usually does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's funny how that happens. My last question here sure. would be, could you maybe give the listeners a little bit of your testimony and what you've been through in your life that's brought you to this point? Because it's exciting for me to look at you now and see all the plans you have and all these (laughs) projects, which is cool, but obviously you got here somehow. God puts Mm -hmm. you together the way Mm -hmm. you are. So Mm -hmm. give the listeners a little bit of your testimony. I've had many opportunities along the way to get better, wiser, stronger. (laughs) (laughs) And the other way to look at that, many obstacles that were cleverly disguised opportunities. When I went to West Point, they took away my hair. They took away my Pontiac. How dare they? (laughs) <laughs> my purple Pontiac. And then they called me a plebe. And I was the lowest of the low in the scum of the earth, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yep. And I recognized in all seriousness that if I dug down real deep into my gut, I might come up empty-handed. And it was a teachable moment. It's a moment where I recognized that I needed more than myself mm-hmm. to be able to survive. And so that's when the math instructor wrapped his arms around me. That's when, during that teachable moment, I really recommitted my life to Christ and then I committed myself to this course of study. He put me through incredible rigors. I should have a seminary degree from just what he put me through. Mm-hmm. And then when I left West Point, uh, I was sort of lit as an ambassador. I went out and I navigated. And then I think really when our first daughter died was the first time in my young life with my wife where we encountered something we couldn't control or think that we could control. Yeah. You know, no matter how hard we prayed or how hard we wished, you know, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. So we had sick hearts. There's nothing we could do about it. Then gratefully, in sort of a resilient sense, it says, but when the desire cometh is a tree of life. So we were blessed to have other children along the way. But that was a milestone for us, again, a benchmark of resilience. Yeah. And we saw how the body of Christ came around us. We saw how relevant, for the first time, we understood Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. That became not just head knowledge, but that was burned into our psyche. And then as I went through, I've seen a lot of, I basically alluded to, if you're faithful in the small things, you will also be faithful in much. Mm-hmm. So as a young leader through the military, when people die, my first RTO drowned at my side. You know, I'll start crying right now about that. But those little things happen, and so it it helps you learn how to navigate the big things of life. As a battalion commander, so I had 800 people doing a good thing. Bad thing happened. It was a bus rollover with families and dependents. 80-year-old lady injured badly, a four-month-old child, rolled off the side of a cliff, errant bus driver. Then I became the object because hurting people, they're looking for a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And so I became the pin the tail on the donkey as the responsible person that they didn't know what else to do. And so I learned how to take that. Mm-hmm. I learned how to absorb the blows of people that are hurting. And if you're in leadership, that comes with the territory. I learned how to turn that into an opportunity. Press conference took all their spears and things, but then 
blessed them and turned what could be a weakness into the very strength. And we were engaged as the outfit that had the best family care programs and the best this and the best that. Well, that was at one bookend because later on, there were far greater tragedies that I would superintend as a leader, uh, loss of life and things, that had I not gone through those earlier experiences, I never would have known how to navigate the larger event. So, and I think that's true in all of our lives. We've just got to be faithful with what we find ourselves encountering. If we apply what we know to be true, our deeply held core values, if we follow some of these resilience principles, then the net is that we'll, we'll grow into larger things. That's a bit of life story and testimony, and gratefully it continues this day. You know, I sense that I'm in convergence, and this thing we're doing for veterans is just tapping every piece of life experience, expertise that I have. And then part of my expertise that you learn over time is to integrate the skills, the passions of others. And so I'm a team builder and mm -hmm. I'm building a team around me mm -hmm. that's doing wonderful work. And we're going to sort of be like Patch Adams. We're going to get that holistic approach. To yeah, take people. care of these folks together. That's right. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you being here today and sure. sharing your story and sharing how you're taking very strategic steps here to help our military veterans and really create resilience in them. Mm -hmm. So just a reminder, folks, the websites, uh, resiliencegodstyle.com, there's some great books there, articles, podcasts, all kinds of things that Major General Dees has done. And then also www.healthyveterans.org, which is the website for the National Center for Healthy Veterans, which is his big focus right now. And you can tell he goes for it big time, $39 million project <laughs> and hundreds of acres, not too far from Liberty here in Virginia. And so maybe some of you could participate with that some way. Maybe you could give to it in some way, either financially or otherwise. There's a lot of vision he has here for how to help the veterans, and I hope you might be able to be a part of that in some way, or at least learn from it and then use it where you are. That's certainly what our dream and hope is for this broadcast. With that, thank you, Major General Dees. We really appreciate your time. Pleasure to be with you, sir. Yeah. I love what you're doing here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com. Thank you.